read verse 4 again. Joshua chapter 3. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. The purpose of the book of Joshua is to give an authoritative account of God's faithfulness in leading his people to the promised land. In Joshua 21 and verse 43 to verse 45, these words are written. And if you will notice that there are six alls, the word all, emphasizing there how true God was to his word. So here are the verses. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he swore to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Everything that he promised, he fulfilled. And in these verses, it emphasizes by using six alls the faithfulness of God. So the book of Joshua has therefore as its main theme the covenant faithfulness of God. That is the glorious theme which runs throughout the whole book, the faithfulness of God to his covenant promises, to fulfill the certainty that he does fulfill every promise he makes. God pledged himself in covenant promise to do certain things for his people. And the word of God says, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. And the book also gives an account of the settlement in the land of promise. The children of Israel had just spent 40 years in the wilderness and in Numbers 25, we read that Moses brought them to Sittim. And according to verse 1 here in chapter 3, they set out from Sittim and came to the Jordan, Joshua and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. Now, as you know, Joshua and Caleb were the only two adults who came out of Egypt and who arrived who arrived here at the Jordan. They survived the wilderness and entered into Canaan. Joshua was a man of great courage, a man of great faith. And with Caleb, you remember, he brought a minority report back to the people after they had spied the land. Despite all the opposition they had seen and these, these enemies which they saw there, Joshua was absolutely convinced that God would give them victory over their enemies. And when speaking of the Canaanites, he said this, The Lord is with us, fear them not. Joshua was also a man of unquestioning obedience. That's obvious from Exodus chapter 17 and verses 8 to 10. 
But the real secret of this man's life, of Joshua's life, which made him the faithful, courageous, and believing man that he was, was that he was a spirit-filled man. Twice, at least in the Bible, it is stated, Numbers 27, the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua with you, a man in whom is the Spirit. And you find it also in Deuteronomy 34. Now Joshua was full of the Spirit of wisdom. So here we find then in chapter 3 of Joshua, we find him and all the people at Sittim. And from there they advance and arrive at the Jordan. And verse 1 tells us that they lodged there before they crossed. They stayed there for three days. Being fully convinced of the Lord's provision, Joshua did not fear, verse 15, though Jordan was at flood stage. The Jordan overflowed all its banks during the whole time of harvest. And notice too that Joshua did not seek a different route which would avoid immediate confrontation with the Canaanites. In chapter 4 and verse 19, we read, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho, just before that strong walled city. And after three days, therefore, lodging beside the swelling Jordan, where the people had enough time to see that in their own strength and through their own plans or power, they could never cross this swollen, swelling Jordan. So the officers went through the tribes and commanded them, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it, for you have not passed this way before. Now, this is true also of every one of us. At whatever stage we are in our Christian lives, although we might have gone through similar uh, situations as we are going through at this time, we have never passed this way before. It is true of you also as a congregation. You may have had vacancies before, but you've never had this one. So you have never passed this way before. So we want to look then at this context and this chapter here and see, first of all, an untrodden path. You have never passed this way before. And you will find, secondly, an unfailing guide. And then we find an unqualified commitment. And fourthly, we're going to see an undeniable triumph. First of all, then, an untrodden path. You have not passed this way before. None of the children of Israel had been here before. They had never passed over the Jordan. They had never cast eye upon the promised land, upon the inheritance that God had promised them. Maybe tonight, you may be yourself personally, maybe you're seeking a path for your future, for your future calling. Or whatever stage you are at, and I'm at, we are on an, an untrodden path. Canaan had been promised to them by God, but they had not yet possessed it. They had not yet come into possession of it. The way there was unknown to them. 
It was an untrodden path, and with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, none of those camped by the Jordan that day had crossed the Red Sea, and right before them was the rushing, swollen Jordan in full spate. How could they cross? The land into which they were to go was a land, as we read in verse 10, of Canaanites and Hittites and Perizzites. These, all these uh, heathen enemies of God and his people. A land of many enemies and, as, and many battles, as the rest of the book of Joshua makes clear. The Israelites did not know the terrain of this land, the hills to climb, the valleys they had to pass through, but they were on the very threshold of an untrodden path and were called to walk like their forefather Abraham, who, when he was called to go to a place which you should after receive for inheritance, inheritance, obeyed. For he went out even although he did not know where he was going. Yet he was confident that God was faithful and that he would break him there and that he would take him as God had said to the land, a land that I will show you. The children of Israel then were going out on a path that they had never trodden before. And as you move forward, you are on that path as well. We're all on this path, an untrodden path. There will be new challenges, as the children of Israel found out here in the book of Joshua. There will be new areas of service. There will be new demands and there will be unknown difficulties. And there will be tracts of land to traverse in costly commitment. God will also, as he's bringing you forward, and as we are going forward, dealing with our wrong attitudes, with our unloving motives, and with our unchristlike ways. He will be dealing with these to put us make us more like Jesus Christ as his witnesses here on earth. And he had to do the same with these people here once they crossed the Jordan. So he has to do it with you and me. These unchristlike attitudes and unloving motives and the wrong actions. There'll be new battles to be fought and because of the ferocity of the opposition, whether demonic or human, there will be new demands on your faithfulness. There will also be new victories in this path. Thank God for that, as there was for the, the people of God here in the book of Joshua. There will be deeper experiences in the depths of the surrounding presence of God. There will be new vistas of joy as God speaks to you more deeply from his word, where he reveals to you with deepening understanding and growing wonder the glory of the person of Jesus Christ, the wonder of his being and his glorious attributes, the faithfulness of his pledged promises, the costly purposes of his redemption, 
the splendor of our great hope, the glory and magnificence of our heavenly abode, truth to fire, our flagging seal, renew our strength and engage our whole being with the certainty that nothing, as Paul puts it, and no one will be able to separate us from him, from the love of God, and that certain destiny that he has decreed and purposed for his redeemed. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and be there with him and like him. So there is an untrodden path for each one of us. And for an untrodden path, secondly, you and I need an unfailing guide. An unfailing guide. Verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out of your position and notice the word and to follow it. It wasn't the priests they were to follow. It was the ark. Yet there shall be a distance about 200 cubits between you and the ark. That's between half and three quarters of a mile of a distance between them. Do not go near it. As you know, the ark is described for us in Exodus chapter 25. It is a, 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 a box, if you like, a chest, four feet by two feet wide by two and a half feet high. It's made of acacia wood and over, overlaid with pure gold. The cover, the mercy seat, as it is called, is made of pure gold to which is soldered two small golden cherubim. And pressed inside the ark were the two tables of the law, always reminding the people, the redeemed people of God, of the nature of their God, that is a holy God, and from the mercy seat on which and before which has been sprinkled the blood of propitiation. And the Bible tells us, God says, in fact, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from the mercy seat which had been sprinkled with blood. There alone God speaks to us and meets with us through the blood that was shed. The ark is always regarded as the visible symbol of God's presence. God, in other words, was going ahead of his people as their unfailing guide. I will, said God, instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. So here too, when the ark, the covenant, ark of the covenant moved, verse 3, then you shall move out of your positions and follow it. But there was to be a space between them and the ark. The distance first emphasized the holiness of God. Holy is the Bible's word for expressing all that is distinctive and transcendent in the revealed nature and character of God. The infinite distance and difference between the Creator and us, the created ones. Holy is his name. 
And yet, the wonder of it all is that the Holy God communes with his people from the mercy seat. He meets with them there because of the blood that was shed and speaks to them from there and leads them by his unfailing presence. We are to be forever conscious, therefore, that our God is holy, majestic in holiness. There is to be a space, said God, between you and the ark. Great fear, said the psalmist in the meeting of the saints, is due unto the Lord, and he of all about him should, with reverence, be adored. But there was a second, another reason for the distance between them and the ark. Verse 4, then you will know the way to go. Keeping that distance, they would all see the ark. Then all would understand that it was God who was leading them into the promised land. He would be their unfailing guide. Them also in a way to walk, that right as he did guide, said the psalmist, that they might to a city go, wherein they might abide. For an untrodden path, therefore, you and I need an unfailing guide for every step of the way. No wonder the hymn writer penned then, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me by thy powerful hand. An unfailing guide. And what a wonderful truth this is for yourself and myself and for all God's children that we have an unfailing guide. Sometimes the way he takes us is not the way we would choose, but it's the best way. It's the way that will bring us finally to that city that us, of which the psalmist wrote that they might to a city go wherein they might abide. They have a, an unfailing guide. And thirdly, there is to be an unqualified commitment. When moving forward on an untrodden path with such an unfailing guide, the people of God are called here to have a moral, res and that they have a moral responsibility to an unqualified commitment of full obedience. Full obedience is what he requires. Verse 5, consecrate yourselves for going forward he said, to their God-given inheritance, their primary need, as you will well and I know, is that we are to dedicate ourselves to a Redeemer God in an unqualified obedience. We are not our own, we have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It is instructive that when the priests were consecrated, you can read it in Leviticus chapter 8, Moses took the blood, the blood of the ram of consecration, and he tells us that he put that blood of consecration on the lobe 
of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the toe of his right foot. Ear, hand, toe, foot, stood for the whole person. So the priest was wholly consecrated to the service of God and to the worship of God. So here also, their commitment was to be evident in following in the path and walking in the way in which God led them and there alone. Their eye had to be upon the ark of God. Verse 3, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, then you shall move from your position and follow it. Or as the authorised version has it, go after it. O thou that dwellest in the heavens, said the psalmist, I lift mine eyes to thee. Behold, a servant's eyes do look, their master's hand to see. So their, uh, their eye was to be upon the ark of God, God leading them. Their eyes were to be upon the ark of God, and then their ears were to be attentive to the word of God. Verse 9, come and listen to the words of the Lord your God, said Moses to them, said, uh, 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 said Joshua to them. It was here they received their directions and their instructions. The word there, here is not only to hear, it means that, of course, to hear with your ears, but the way it's used always in the Bible, it doesn't just mean that. It means to hear that leads to doing what you are called to do. It leads to obedience. Hear the words of the Lord your God. Their eyes were to be attentive. Their eyes were to be upon the ark of God. And their ears were to be attentive to the word of God. It was here that the, the word that they were to gladly and lovingly obey. Their ears were to be attentive to the word of God. Their feet were to be walking in the way of God. Verse 3, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, follow it, go after it, walk in the path of his appointing. So we see here the call for a for that sort of commitment, their eyes were to be upon the ark of God. Their ears were to be to the word of God. And their feet were to be in the path of God. Go after it. That's what we are called. And if you know anything of your own life and heart and know anything of mine, we fall short of that. But that's the commitment to which we are called. Nothing less. And that sort of commitment was an, is to be an expression of the heart set of God's people. What a picture this is then of true Christian unity. Each one denying his own desires and deaf to every other voice except the voice of God. What a witness that would be to the world. 
But that can only be so if each of us takes up his cross daily, dying to self-will and self-interest and following in Christ's way. It is to be a heart commitment to God expressed in a life commitment of obedience. John Stott commenting on the words of Jesus in the high priestly prayer of John 17, when he prays that they would be one as we are one, he quotes from an old commentator, and, and this is what it says, and this is what it means, he says, it is all wills, Though the word all is used here three times as well. All wills bowing in the same direction. All affections burning with the same flame. And all aims directed to the same end. That's the picture. That, and that's what Christ prayed for. That's what he wants his people to be as witnesses in his world. Did such commitment then, did such commitment mean that there be no difficulties to meet in the way? No, it definitely didn't mean that. In fact, if you read the book of Joshua, you'll find that it was because they were in the path of obedience that they did meet with these difficulties and meet with much opposition. The first difficulty that they met was the thundering of the swelling of Jordan. But they, they were hearing the roar of, as the waters rushed through the Jordan. How on earth can we pass? But the Jordan was crying out to them, you'll never pass here. And Satan was telling them, you'll never go through that Jordan. But over that voice, these voices on the thunderous waters of Jordan, they listened to the sure promise of God. As soon as, verse 13, the priest set foot in the Jordan, its waters will be cut off. That was God's promise. Their eyes were to be to him. And he is twice here, he's called the Lord of all the earth. That God who is in full control. And their feet were to be in the path, verse 16, so that they passed over. As soon as God, as the feet of the priests stood in the, in the river, in the Jordan, God dried up the Jordan and they passed on dry ground. Notice where they passed. The people of God, 16, passed over opposite Jericho, the strong-walled city directly in front of their enemies. Now, when you read chapter 6 there in Jericho, no military strategist would ever plan what was planned to have a victory over Jericho. They were to walk round it six, six days, once in six days. Then on the seventh day, they were going to round it seven times and they were to blow the ram's horn and they were, every one of them was to shout at the top of their voices. Now, which military strategist would go for that? 
none but to listen to God. Their ears were open to his word. That's what they were commanded to do. They learned their lesson here at Jordan. And that's why God took them here, because he was testing them and encouraging them in their faith to rest upon him. And when the second test came, they listened to his voice. And that's why maybe you are going through these difficult times at the moment, because there are more on the way. And the God who took you, takes you through these here, you look to him for the ones that are there. To tread an, un, an untrodden path in the future, personally, individually, and as a fellowship of God's people, with an unfailing guide, the people of God require an unqualified commitment of heart faithfulness, demonstrated, as we have seen, in a total commitment to God alone, eye, ear, and foot. That's the challenge for each one of us. And then finally, you will know, as Israel experienced here at the Jordan, an undeniable triumph. Verse 16, the waters from upstream stopped flowing. The waters were cut off, just as God had said to them in verse 13, that this is what will happen. As soon as the priests stood in that Jordan, the waters stopped and they became a huge wall up on the right there and dry ground on the left, so that this multitude of people the redeemed of Christ passed over. They crossed into their inheritance to possess it against all opposition and difficulties. Truly, as Joshua 21 says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one, all were fulfilled. Verse 17, the priest stood in the middle of Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation's nation had completed the crossing in dry, on dry ground. Now that verse, verse 17 there, states this. Notice again there are two alls here. And all the Israelites, the redeemed, blood-bought children of God, all of them passed by on dry ground until all the people or all the nation passed over Jordan. All. <clears throat> Speaks of the faithfulness of God. Every single blood-bought child of God that day passed through Jordan. All of them. As God said that they would. All went to possess their God-given possessions and inheritance. An undeniable triumph. But notice to whom the glory for this belongs. To remind them that, to remind them that, remind the children of Israel that God alone brought them here and enabled them to triumph and bring them safely there. The Lord asked Joshua to take a man from each of the tribes and take a stone from the midst of Jordan 
and placed them where they lodged the first night after they crossed. That's what they were to do. There were 12 stones and they were to place them where they lodged the first night they crossed. Now said God to them, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? What are these stones doing there? What are they, what are they for? Or why were they put there? And then here is what God tells them. When your children will ask you, you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan, Joshua 4, 21. Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. And here is not, he didn't stop there. That was true. That happened. But notice what he says after that. Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The Lord brought them over. All the glory belongs to him. The psalmist said in Psalm 44, for neither got their sword the land, nor did their arm them save, but thy right hand and countenance, for thou them favour gave. That was the reason. God enabled them to triumph. The Lord took them safely there. May we then individually and as a fellowship of God's people, move forward to an unknown future, under the guidance and care of an unfailing guide. What an encouragement then for us to walk in an, that untrodden path with that unfailing guide and giving an unqualified commitment which will result as he did for them in an undeniable triumph where you will gladly acknowledge as they did truly the Lord has done great things for us whence joy to us has brought. In Psalm 95, that wonderful psalm, the psalmist tells us of this crossing of what God has done and he says, a great God and great King Above all God's ears, and if you move down to verse 6 of that uh, psalm, he says, O come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all, and on our knees before, our make, before the Lord, our maker, let us fall. That's where this brings us, to his feet in worship, to serve him. What a God we have. He brought them safely through. He'll do the same for you. And when you reach the glory, you will see it all. What a God is ours. What a Saviour who looked down on sinners like ourselves, through thick and thin, through vale and through hill, brought us safely to the, our desired haven. May God bless his word to us and encourage all our hearts, Lord. <laughs>
We thank you that you are a wonderful God, that you are a saving redeemer, that you are patient with us and that you who begin a good work will finally complete it, the process until each one of us will be like Jesus. We shall see him as he is and his name will be in, in the foreheads of your people and they will forever worship you and forever wonder at the God that you are, the love with which you are loved them, the power with which you are kept them, and the good that you have done for them. Lord, make us ever and alone to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.